Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winston, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Yeah, good, Wino. Very good. Thanks very much. And uh, happy to be back and talk another week of NBA. Now, Caddy, this week, uh, myself and you are locked in in, in an engrossing battle uh, in fantasy. Let's be honest, if, if I wasn't winning, I probably wouldn't have brought it up. But uh, how are you <laughs> feeling about your prospects heading into the last day tomorrow? Uh, look, I think we're probably resigned to the fact that it's going to be an L for the week. Um, 11 cat league we play, and I'm down 4-7 with really minimal prospects of probably you know eating into that lead at this stage. So I think if, if we can kind of hold those four cats and go down 4-7, it might be as good as you know, we might be able to hope for from the gorillas' point of view this week because, yeah, we just haven't been able to get things done, unfortunately. And, um, yeah, the, the power and the key, your... Your mob have um, yeah, certainly turned up to play. Um, Trey Young in particular has just been an f- unstoppable force and um, we just simply had no answers. No, he certainly has been. He's on fire. He's been on fire the last couple of weeks, Trey Young. Finally sort of coming around after a bit of a slow start and, and me sort of wondering whether I'd made the right choice uh, taking with my first pick. But you've got you got Giannis tomorrow, mate. You never know what he could do. He might be able to single-handedly drag you back into the contest, but you've probably been behind the eight ball since uh, since day one where I had a monster first day and you had a couple of guys, Giannis and, and uh, Lonzo and, and DeRozan, that didn't do much that first week. It's always hard playing catch-up in fantasy and obviously had the day off of Thanksgiving as well. So, yeah, I'd be happy, mate, to take the the 7-4 win. I think, where are you sitting in the later? Third or fourth, aren't you? Um, that's a good question. I think, um, I'll just have a quick look. Yeah, four, in the fourth seat at the moment. Very um, nonchalant pretty, about being in the top four. Yeah, yeah well, you know, just uh, it's, it's pretty tight, sort of, you know, one through six. So um, this will probably push me back down in that kind of six to seven range, I dare say, once it all washes out tomorrow. But, um, yeah, no, it's been a, a reasonable start to the season. But, yeah, there's been a few alarm bells starting to, to go off in the camp just with um, some of the lack of performance probably on a few of my key players and, a few, you know, just a few niggling little injuries that are starting to to come to the fore. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to tidy a few things up over the next couple of weeks. No, well, no doubt a quality organisation like the uh, the Gorillas, Caddy, will uh, right the ship uh, over the next couple of weeks. And, yeah, my, my team's finally starting to get some uh, continuity going and I think this will be my third win in a row. Not that I'm counting my chickens too early, Caddy, but hopefully I can get across <laughs> the line uh, tomorrow. So what we're going to do this week, Caddy, is it's obviously been Thanksgiving, as I mentioned, over in the States. Not a... Not a holiday that's celebrated here in Australia, but it's it's massive over there. So what I thought we'd do this week is if is uh, give thanks to uh, what we really love about the NBA. So we're going to pick four things each to give thanks for, and I'll let you uh, kick it off, Caddy. What's the first thing that you're going to give thanks for? Well, I think for this one, it's probably yeah talking on behalf of, of many people, or supporters and fans and opposition players across the NBA over many years who have you know wished they could um. Yeah, have a bit of a showdown with LeBron James, and this week it was Isaiah Stewart from the Detroit Pistons who tried to take down LeBron after he was on the receiving end of a bit of a, um, a backhanded, clinched, I don't know what you'd call it, into the face that, that drew blood from the big fella from from Detroit, and he certainly. Didn't what did you think about that? What did you think about that blow from LeBron? Did, did you think it was intentional? For me, it looked like he was trying to, you know. If, throw his arm back because it looked like Stuart was either hooking him or something and he was clearly trying to make contact with his upper sort of chest area. I, I don't think he got him in, you know, I don't think he was aiming for his face, but it was clearly an intentional blow. I think so. And I think the fact that he's, he's 
his yeah hand was almost clenched in in a sense when he when he did make contact probably didn't you know suggest that he was just looking to give him a bit of a love tap but I think yeah I probably agree that he he probably didn't think he was going to flush him like he did and 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 really hit him in the sweet spot under that eye but um, yeah I think there was definitely a bit of um, a bit of will willingness about and I think the NBA. Agreed with that and gave LeBron his first suspension in, in his very storied career. So um, that was almost unprecedented to, to see that, that happen. And it was also quite interesting because I think the next game that LeBron was due to play was against the Knicks at Madison Square Garden, which was a, a, a national TV game. So yeah, that, that was, was the big thing, wasn't it? Everyone was wondering whether they'd have the balls, I suppose, to pull the trigger. LeBron, the only time he's going to go into the Garden all year, the, you know, the biggest stage in the NBA, were they going to have the balls to do it? And hats off to him because he deserved that one week, uh, that one game and they gave it to him. Yeah, definitely. And it was really the, the, the last time that I can remember someone really going at LeBron was um, the Chicago Bulls' Nazi Muhammad um, had, a, had a, a real go at him. There's a name. About 10 years ago. I think it was in a playoff game, actually. He, he sort of tried to throw him down as well. So... There's not probably not too many people would have the courage or the, the I suppose the want to go and, and really attack LeBron, but um yeah when it when it happened and, and Stewart in particular he was really rolled up and I think the the, the amusing thing about uh, this incident was just the, the number of times he tried to to break through <laughs> yeah. that you know and, and we spoke about it a few weeks ago the, the hold me back hold me back but this guy was genuinely trying to to break through and and, and if it wasn't for Kate Cunningham the rookie that's the best um, defense the, I've seen him play all season Cunningham. <laughs> Really got in his way. Um, LeBron may have been in trouble, and it looked like um, old Brody Westbrook on the other side. He was looking like he was a bit of shadow boxing as well, yeah. and, um, get get into things. So it was a bit of a, a comedy of events, really. But um, yeah, look, a decent blow to the face of Stewart. Two week suspension for him. Uh, sorry, two game suspension for him, and then LeBron uh, the ejection. Was that just the second time that I yep. read that LeBron had yeah. been ejected in his career? Which again, that's. Um, I mean, Joe Ingles has been ejected twice this year, so it's um, a pretty phenomenal effort um, considering, you know, the amount of attention LeBron gets night in, night out for him to be able to hold his, his cool for so long over many years and to only be ejected twice is, is quite incredible. Um, and then in his first suspension there too. So, yeah, it was a, it was a big story. And it, look, if, if anything, it, it got people that probably don't follow the league as closely as, as some, some others to, you know, even – Probably hadn't even heard of Isaiah Stewart, but we, as we saw on our fantasy draft night, one of uh, one of our friends or one of the podcast friends, um, Paddy Caddy, he took yeah. him really early. Pulled the, the trigger draft. very early, which <laughs> raised some eyebrows. Uh, we and I don't know if that was a mistaken pick or it was one. Oh, of I think it might have been. Few or, but uh, yeah, he took him quite early. And look, he, he, he's a decent enough player. It's only his second season, Stewart, and he's he's showing some decent traits and that he's going to be a, a, a reasonable player at the level. So. Yeah, but it certainly put him on the map and, and gave a bit of national airtime to the Detroit Pistons, who, are, who as we know, have you know, walked out of the gates again this season, 4-15, and 15, and, and will be uh, cemented down that bottom end of the, the Eastern Conference, we think, for the rest of the season. But, um, yeah, a bit of a bit of news and headlines for the Pistons um, fans anyway to, to get stuck into. Well, as you said, the most amusing thing was how many times he sort of faked like he was, yeah, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, and then everyone sort of calmed down. Then he went again. I reckon he did that sort of two or three times and and probably the most amusing thing was that security guard. I don't know if you saw that that vision, Caddy, of the security guard who sort of was standing there and then he, I think he looked at Stuart and went, yeah, I'm not earning enough money to try and stop this bloke. He sort of <laughs> stuck his hand out as if that was going to do anything and, yeah, it was – It was. You, you never really see – you see players lose their cool but for it to happen sort of two or three times like that was certainly unprecedented. But 
for me, he sort of he he sort of faced up to LeBron as soon as it happened. And if he had a, had if he really wanted to have a go at LeBron, he had the chance to do that right there and then when they were sort of face to face. And he sort of didn't do much. And then he sort of I don't know whether he sort of saw the blood and that made him even angrier. But it, it was bizarre. You said you know we spoke about the hold me back thing. Oh, I'm I'm going to go out and limb and say that I reckon he could have. That last one where he broke about five tackles and then got close. I think it was DeAndre. I don't even know if it was LeBron he was going at at that stage. But he broke about five tackles and then sort of got towards Jordan and then was sort of held up. I don't, I don't know. I'm still saying that he that it was a lot of it was for show. But what about at the end of it when he sort of got to the tunnel and then took off through the tunnel and everyone was going, oh, he's going to come out the other side and have a go at him. It was just, it was just mayhem. So... And coincidentally, obviously, it was, you know, a, a Detroit home game. You know, we, we cast our mind back to the malice in the palace and and the uh, the announcer on, on, on that day was telling everyone to uh, stay in their seats and not throw objects. And obviously, you know, the mind was getting cast back to potentially it blowing out of proportion and, and for that to happen. So you said there, I think you said that you thought LeBron should have got the one game. I agree he should have. I was a little bit surprised that Stewart only got the two. That was... I would have thought three or four. What about you? Were you happy with just the two games? Well, I think they've they've well the the leadership with Adam Silver. I think they've tended to be a bit more lenient on some of these suspensions. I think we saw Jokic only got the one game for his push on uh, Morris yeah. a few weeks back, and that you know that that was a push that you know could have been really damaging. I don't think we've even seen no, uh, Morris back in uniform yet. No. Since, since that incident. So I think Jokic was probably lucky with the one game. Um, Stewart with the two. Yeah, I think probably pretty lucky because that, that's what they're trying to obviously get out of the game is any of these um, incidents that could spark, you know, a more significant scene that, that, than, than what it actually happened. Because it just takes one one punch to connect or one punch to be, be thrown and it, and, it, and it can get out of hand really, really quickly. So, um, no, I think it was probably on the lenient side uh, for Stuart with the two games. And LeBron, you know, I think at least had the benefit of, uh, he could have said it was an accident, his hit, but I think the one game was, was definitely fair. For that, um, but Stewart probably got away with got away with one. I think if he yeah, if he threw a punch in that, out of all that, you know, I think the uh, suspension would have been a little bit more significant. I'm sure. Yeah, you're you're probably right there. If he didn't, I guess he didn't never really throw a punch, but just just to carry on the way that he did, and so I think he knocked over. I don't know who one of the assistants. I don't know if it was a Lakers assistant or a Sacramento assistant, but he uh, he went ass over. So, yeah, it was it was certainly entertaining. And, uh, you know, I said a couple of weeks ago that it might be a result of sort of the way the game's being called, the refs are sort of being a bit more lenient with contact. So I said it a couple of weeks ago, Caddy, and I'll say it again. Hopefully the, the league don't look at so, sort of these overreactions from some players and clamp down because I'm certainly enjoying the way the game has been uh, adjudicated so far this season. So we'll move on now, Caddy, to the first thing that I'm going to be uh, thankful for, and and it's got to be the Sacramento Kings. And the reason, Caddy, I'm thankful for them is just their level of ineptitude just gives us something to laugh about or talk about. You know, they, they, they've got the longest uh, playoff drought uh, in the NBA. I think if they miss it again this year, it's actually the longest drought in the history of the NBA. And we saw during the week, and it was called here, Caddy, on the Pound the Key podcast during our pre-season uh, preview. We, we went out on a huge limb uh, when we said this, Caddy, I, I threw to you and then asked you whether if you could take Luke Walton or the field to be the first coach fired, you said you'd take Luke, Luke Walton, and I, I certainly agree with you. And we saw that come to fruition d- during the week. After a 6-11 and 11 start, Walton was out the door. Alvin Gentry came in 
uh, as the coach. I think this has happened four or five times in in Gentry's career. So he's he's almost like a grim reaper. If you were if you're a coach and Gentry was hired as your assistant, you'd probably be looking over your shoulder. So <laughs> well done to Alvin Gentry, who's who, he just must pick. A, a team that he thinks is uh, likely to give their coach the arse and go, yeah, I'll take the, the assistant job there and maybe get in the in the hot seat at some stage. But just a couple of stats I'll throw at you, Caddy, about how bad the Sacramento Kings have been over the years. They've had 18 head coaches since relocating to Sacramento in 1985. Luke Walton, with a winning percentage of 42%, actually has a second-best record in <laughs> for a coach uh, since they've moved to Sacramento, which is just unbelievable. Rick Alderman uh, has the has the best percentage at 63% and Luke Walton at 42% uh, winning record is the second best coach uh, in 18 in the 18 coaches they've had, as I said, since they've moved to Sacramento, meaning, Caddy, that in 35 years they've only had one coach with a winning record, which is just almost unfathomable how bad they have been. And Adelman left in 2006. They've had 10 coaches in 15 years since he's left. So it's just, yeah, if, if you get a job at Sacramento, I, I wouldn't even bother buying a house caddy. I'd probably rent. So <laughs> obviously, no great surprise. They had a very slow start to the season. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, you know, basically their star point guard who was seen as the, the guy that was going to probably push for a, for a first all-star berth has certainly started the year very slowly. They've actually won two games uh, since getting rid of Walton. I guess I'm, I'm going to ask you, were you surprised? Obviously, you weren't, given that we predicted this, but were you surprised that it happened so early? Oh, not really. I think it was it was a ticking time bomb, and I think they were just effectively going to be waiting until that first really main losing streak that the team would go on and it, it would give them the ability to, to make the move on Walton because there was obviously plenty of talk in the off-season about you know his tenure and, and how long he potentially would have been there for. But I think, yeah, once that first kind of sustained losing streak um, started happening. It, yeah, it gave them the ability to, to pull the trigger on him and, and move on, and um, which is a bit of a shame. I think you know he certainly hasn't been able to fulfil the the heights that he, you know people may have thought of him when he went on that incredible winning streak as the interim coach with um, the Golden State Warriors when Steve Kerr was sitting out with an injured back. He obviously went to the LA Lakers for his first uh, main head coaching gig, and now Sacramento. And yeah, both situations have ended ended negatively for him. So. Yeah, so you're to, saying, Caddy, it's a bit easier to coach Steph Curry than De'Aaron Fox. Is that, is that what you're getting at? <laughs> so it's a, a, a weighted uh, easier for sure. And it'd be interesting to see whether Walton bobs up again in, in the head coaching, um, you know, head coaching position, or whether you know he takes a step away from it now and, and reinvents as a as a career assistant, which, which might be probably more where I'd see it going now. I, I think it'd be hard for him to now walk into another organisation after two yeah two firings effectively. Um, with you know limited success, it's not like he had a history of coaching teams to playoffs, and and then had these two experiences. They'd both pretty much been since you know out of the gate. He hasn't been able to get a, either of the teams to perform at the level um, clearly their organisations were hoping for. So I think yeah, that might be the last we probably see in the sh- certainly in the short term from Luke Walton in the head coaching position. But yeah, the Sacramento situation is just a yeah continued. Organisations that's stuck in in the in mediocrity really. It's they just haven't been able to elevate themselves. They've had countless opportunities to to build through the draft, many many lottery picks that they've got wrong really effectively, and, and haven't been able to build a sustained winning culture around anyone um, at this stage. You know they had limited success, I suppose, with Demarcus Cousins. He was a, a top five pick in, in his draft, and he was looking like it was heading that they were 
about to make a bit of a run with with Cousins as, as their team leader. But we know that you know that ended in a trade to New Orleans as well. Um, you know, Willie Cauley Stone was another top ten pick that they that they had that didn't work out. Clearly, Marvin Marvin Bagley is going to be the one that we're going to talk about. You know, history will talk about forever the fact that he was taken in front of Luka Doncic, and and you know, it's only now that. Walton sort of moved on that we're seeing some opportunity for, for Bagley in this season. Um, yeah, they've just got wrong time and time again. And, you know, Darren Fox was, was probably the, the big hope um, in recent years as, as a top 10 draft pick to, to lead this team. And yeah, he, he's probably just stagnated a little bit from, from his previous year's performance. He just hasn't had the level of improvement you probably would have liked to have seen from a player of his calibre. Uh, still, you know, he's been able to average the 20 points a game for the season, but I think, you know, there's probably an expectation that he'd, He'd become a, a, a more um, or a bigger figure in the game um, into this into his fourth season now. So Tyrese Halliburton is the, the next one. All the hopes going to go on, and, and Buddy Hill sort of the third running partner there. So yeah, look, they're a fair way back, obviously in, in the West again this year, uh, eight and twelve. You know they've got won their last two, which is which is pleasing. And yeah, the, the team that's just ahead of them now is Denver on a six game losing streak. So. Look, there are some opportunities potentially to, you know, if they can get on a, a bit of a run here, that they might make some noise around a playing berth. But, you know, I think it's just going to be another uh, unfulfilled season in, in Sacramento. It's certainly looking that way, Caddy. And just to highlight how bad they have been, I've put together, Caddy, a top five stupidest things they've done in just the last six years I've confined it to. I've just said they've had a horrendous record since relocating to Sacramento in 1985, but I'll put together a top five of the stupidest things they've done in the last six years. Number one, clearly, you mentioned it uh, a moment ago, selecting Marvin Bagley with a second pick in the 2018 draft over Luka Doncic, despite the fact uh, Vladi Divac, who was the GM at that time, had some sort of relationship with uh, Doncic's father, I think, so knew him pretty well. Um, that, that just doesn't make any sense. And as you said, he'd been out of the rotation uh, until Gentry come on board, and he's just still sort of only... You know, he's looking okay, but certainly, you know, Doncic could potentially go down as a top 20, 30 player of all time. You know, his first couple of seasons have been outstanding. So that's obviously the biggest regret that they've had over the last five or six years. Number two, Caddy, owner Vivek Ranadive, suggesting they play four on five on defense. So if they got the offensive rebound, they could throw it ahead and the guy could make an uncontested layup. How do you reckon that'd go, Caddy, playing four on five on defense? Do you reckon you'd have a pretty strong defense doing that? No, I wouldn't have thought so. I don't think it helped their cause <laughs> at all. In fact, it'd probably make it even even worse. I would have thought. So that that's just. Uh, I think he said he tried that when he coached in his under nines or his under elevens daughters team. So he thought it'd be a good idea to bring that to the NBA. So that, that that's the level that we're working with at Sacramento when the owner suggesting that they play four on five on defense. Uh, number three on this list, Caddy, letting Bogdan Bogdanovich walk a couple of seasons ago to Atlanta as a free agent, even if you were going to let him go when you didn't want to pay him or, or whatever, you didn't see him as part of the future, you're better off just signing him at least and then making a sign and trade. And even if you get a couple of second-round picks, it's better than nothing. So they just let you know a quality player walk out the door and got nothing in return. You just can't afford the, – the good The good franchises don't do that. You know, Even when LeBron and Bosch were traded to the Heat back in those days, they managed to get some draft picks out of Miami, so at least they got something. So you can't let a quality player walk out the door without getting anything. Uh, number four on this list, Caddy, they selected George Papayanis with the 13th pick in the 2016 draft. Papayanis played 13, uh, 39 games through his career with an average of four points and three rebounds. So they they burnt a first-round pick there. And 
at the time they made that pick, there was a lot of heads with scratch going, what the hell are they picking this guy for in the first round? So guys that were still available, Malik Beasley, Pascal Siakam, Karis LeVert, Malcolm Brogdon, DeJounte Murray, they could have had any of those guys, but they went with Papayanis, and obviously that came back to bite them in, in the ass. Number five, uh, in the 2017 draft, they traded pick number 10 for picks 15 and 20 uh, to Utah. I think it was to Utah. So they could have either just kept uh, pick 10 and selected Donovan Mitchell or Bam Adebayo, or at pick 15, one of the picks they got, they could have got John Collins. And with pick 20, they could have got – they're obviously targeting a centre because they took Justin Jackson with pick 15 and Harry Giles with pick 20, Giles as a centre. They could have taken Jared Allen at pick 20 or OG Ananobi. So the trade come back just to haunt them. As I said, they could have taken Mitchell at a bio. Or the two-for-one could have worked out if they had taken Collins and Jared Allen. So just been a really bad run, and you've got to feel for Sacramento fans because you can't really see this playoff drought ending unless the West, just as you said, Denver are on a bit of a slide. Maybe they can sneak their way into the play-in tournament and get it from there. But... Uh, yeah, hats off to the Sacramento Kings, so they, they certainly keep it interesting for us. We'll move on now, Caddy, to your second thing that you want to be thankful for, and what have you gone with? Um, I'm thankful thankful for Alex Caruso, um, the Chicago Bull, a hybrid guard, small forward who's come into uh, the team this year after you know starting his career with the LA Lakers. It was an interesting one that that, that he was actually available in, in the free agency market because they're you know, he was he was clearly happy to stay at LA after last season, and effectively, yeah, they they just weren't prepared to to offer him the the, the money that he was effectively after. And I think it, it was even reported that he was happy to take a bit less than what even Chicago had yeah. offered in the end yep. to stay at LA, and um, they just wouldn't come to the come to the table on it. So when you look at the two, you know, the two situations, I'm sure the LA Lakers would certainly value a guy like Caruso. And why I'm thankful is because it's given the Bulls. Um, who we, we've spoken about a fair bit, you know, in the lead up and the start of the season, and you know, the concerns primarily with this new group was going to be around defense. And Caruso's sort of turned um, turned the tables on that because of his you know, level of play, particularly at the defensive end. So he's, he was, it, it's been an absolute must that you know he, he is part of this team because without him, you know, it, it can leak clearly with um, probably you know negative defenders with Zach Levine and Demar Derozan. Um, sort of playing in behind him. So Caruso there with Lonzo um, Ball certainly gives him a, a, a much sort of feisty defence, um, particularly in that sort of guard spot. So uh, he, he certainly brought plenty of hustle and, and, and energy to the table with the, the defensive end for Chicago. And you, you see it sort of time and time again, particularly when um, Vucevic went down with the COVID, he, he basically sort of slotted in almost the power forward stop. They played him back up point guard. Um, they put him on the team's best offensive player, Every game, so he's able to guard guys in the post. He can play the pick and roll, um, and he doesn't necessarily have to score to impact the game. And that's you know allowing you know Demar Derozan and Zach Levine to, to flourish you know in their offensive roles. So it's so important to have a guy like Caruso that he's prepared to get down and dirty and, and do those um, I suppose the the tasks that don't show up so much in the box scores, but you know it's so important to the way a team wants to wants to play. So. Chicago would certainly be thankful that he's on their team, and and although they you know, lost to your Miami Heat today, they still have started the season thirteen and eight, sitting in the four seed and, and sort of hanging in there um, in that top four at the moment. But uh, without Caruso, I don't think they'd would even be that high up. It's been that crucial to everything that they're trying to do so far this year. Oh, he certainly has, and as you said, just a, a very strange 
decision by the Lakers to to not re-sign him. Like he shot forty percent from three last year, so he's a very good defender. And the Lakers had, I think, if not the best, certainly in the top two or three uh, defensive units last year. And Crusoe was obviously very crucial towards that because we've seen the Lakers fall off on that on that end of the floor this year. So j- just a really shrewd move by the Chicago Bulls to sign Caruso. And and I, I think he's one of those players that sort of don't get the plaudits that he deserves because he's white and he's bald and you sort of look at him and you go, well, you know, he's just an average player. But, you know, you've said you said there how important it is to be able to find guys that, that want to play a role. They don't want to take 10, 15 shots when they're out on the court. He's playing almost the 30 minutes and, and he was leading the league in steals. I'm not sure if he still is, but to average 2.3 steals per game, uh, coming off the bench is just exceptional, and sometimes that steal stat can be a little bit misleading because guys gamble and and they're actually not that good at defense, and but they get steals. But he's certainly very good on that end of the floor, and as you said, one of the main reasons that it's been a bit surprising. I think when we spoke about the Chicago Bulls in the preseason, we thought they were just going to be an incredible offensive team, but would struggle on the defensive end. Uh, on the defensive end, but it's almost been a uh, the you know the inverse of that that they've been very good defensively and probably haven't clicked yet on the offensive end. So uh, you mentioned their record. Is there any concern from you, Caddy? They've actually lost uh, three of their last four games, including a loss to the Houston Rockets, which is almost unfathomable. But are you getting concerned at all, or are you still confident with the way they're going? Um, I'm still relatively confident. I think, yeah, that Houston loss was ordinary. That a shocking loss the other day as well last week um, at home to Indiana. Yeah. yeah, it was on. It was on the second night of a back-to-back. Day. And Caru- the Crusoe didn't play, did he? So that's no, obviously he didn't why. play, and you know, Vucevic wasn't out, and obviously Patrick Williams has been out for the season. So the rotation was was pretty thin. But uh, that particular Indiana game, yeah, they'd just come back from that West Coast trip, and it was quite interesting. They it was a five-game road trip, and they just had the one day off before their sort of next home game, which was then a back-to-back um, as well. So there wasn't a lot of rest after, you know, coming back from the, the Western road trip. So you know, I think probably one of those losses, maybe the Indiana one was probably inevitable. But, yeah, the loss then to Houston a couple of days later um, was clearly not ideal um, considering <laughs> the situation Houston, although they are now on a, a two-game tear, winning tear as well after 3-16 and 16 on and the season. And there's talk but, about John Wall wanting to come back and play, Caddy. <laughs> And we've seen Zach Lowe and Mark Stein jump on this. Obviously, they listen to the Power and the Key podcast, Caddy, when we spoke about it first. Yeah, we did. And, and yeah, I think Chris Mannix was the one that he, he's run it on two podcasts, I think, in the last week and, and written a, a pretty detailed article. And I think yeah, our lawyers need the, to take a look at this. <laughs> on the back of our discussion that really brought it, brought it to the fore and how, how unusual the, the whole situation is. But back on the Bulls, yeah, look, at, I think there'd have to be a level of, um, I suppose, uh, concern in terms of you know just their level of you know, the inconsistent level of play I think over over the past week or two um, you know now now with Milwaukee sort of snip, um, back in a form and snapping at their heels they're in the fifth seat on a six game winning streak so you'd think they'll jump over Chicago pretty swiftly but um, no look I think really at this stage if they can hold up into the top six by the end of the season that that's going to be a, certainly a win um, for the organisation and and probably about. Where they were, I think going in, they, they would have liked to have been positioned. So um, no, they need to need to certainly turn the form around, and that'll be. Then you know, I think that if the defense can continue to hold up. Um, primarily, it's still ranked sixth in the league in defensive rating. So I think the offensive side of things, you know, should be able to improve, particularly as um, Vucevic, you know, finds his probably finds his level of fitness and health again after the, having COVID, and also 
um, just trying to work in with these other guys that have come into the team. He hasn't really been able to define his role, I don't think, as yet. But, you know, they, they're going to be a, a, a team that I'm sure will be looking to upgrade the roster as the season goes on, and um, particularly maybe in that backup big man department as well um, would be an area they'd probably be looking at. So, yeah, they, they'd be not wanting to get too cute here and, and drop too many more games. And, and the home record in particular has been pretty ordinary. They're just 6-4 and four at home. Um, so they'd want to probably sharpen that up a little bit and, and try and hold a, a, a bit more level of competition in, in their own uh, stadium. Yeah, no doubt about that. And yeah, as I said, they're probably about where they would hope they would be. Um, so yeah, all Bulls fans, including yourself, Caddy, would be satisfied because I think I think it was they've been the worst team record-wise if you combine the last three years, which which is incredible considering some of the teams we've seen. So it's certainly overdue for the Chicago Bulls to, to be a playoff team, and it certainly looks like they're headed that that way this season. Moving on to my second thing that I'm thankful for in the NBA, Caddy, and, and it's Steph Curry. You know, we've spoken a number of times about our love for Steph Curry, but just this season again this year is incredible. Golden State off to a start that nobody saw coming at 17-2. and two. Uh, he, The year he's having at the moment at nearly 29 points a game, six rebounds, seven assists, shooting 46, 41% from three, uh, over 13 attempts a game, which is just incredible, and 94% from the line. So... He's hit 98 three-pointers, Caddy, for the season. Second on the list is Buddy Heald at 84. And then third is CJ McCollum at 66. So that just sort of illustrates the huge drop-off between Curry at 98 and third place McCollum at 66. So hats off to Buddy Heald for at least sort of making it a little bit interesting in the three-point department. So uh, the record for Curry has four of the top five seasons for three-pointers made in a season. Uh, he's got number one, the number one spot at 402 threes, which he made back in 2015-16, which was the second year he's the, the second year of his back-to-back MVPs. I did the math, Caddy, and if he plays 77 games, let's just say, you know, he's probably going to miss a few with injury at some stage. He's on target at the moment to break that and 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 uh, hit 415 three-pointers. So just an absolutely incredible start to the season. There's nothing better, Caddy, is there than watching Steph Curry when he's on fire. And I think the most impressive part about uh, Curry's ability to shoot is that he can do it from with his with the ball in his hand or coming off screen. So generally a player's good at either one of those skills. So we've got you've got the guys who can score really well with the ball in their hands, like Dame Lillard, you know, James Harden, Trey Young. Those guys are elite you know, crowding off the dribble and pulling up from three, but you don't generally see either of those three curling off curling off screens and knocking down threes. And then you think about those guys that could curl that could curl off the screens and knock down threes like Reggie Miller and Kyle Corver, Kyle Corver and Ray Allen. Well that they certainly couldn't do it off the dribble, but you see Curry doing it with the ball in his hands and coming off screen. So it's just his level of shooting is absolutely incredible, and I know how much you love Steph Curry, so I'm going to let you talk about him now, but I'm very thankful that we've got a healthy Steph Curry in our league. Yeah, it's just awesome, and we've spoken about him you know, a fair bit already this season because he's, well, I think we're just so grateful that he's come come back out and playing at the level that he was. I think there was probably some doubts over the last couple of years whether his, his, his fitness was going to be able to withstand and particularly if he had to you know, be a leader and carry an inexperienced or underperforming team and, and how that was going to wear on him. But uh, for him to be able to come out this season and, and play at this level and, and for the Warriors as well to yeah, to be 17-2 and two is just unbelievable. I don't think, you know, clearly no one would have thought that was going to happen at the start of the season. So, and as we mentioned, you know, they are a, 
a deeper team and and than, than what we probably gave them credit for and but Carrie's still clearly the, the best player and team leader and you know he'd be really I think looking to continue this and, and really put his hand up um, for an MVP tilt because if he can do that um, at his age and and at this um, period of time in his career they really rubber stamp him as as clearly one of the all-time great players and and they're just a generational player and, and someone that really transitioned and changed the game into to what we're seeing at the moment. So, um, yeah, just just awesome to watch and so so much fun. And I uh, watched caught a fair bit of the Philly-Golden State game the other day when uh, Steph Curry was playing against Seth Curry. And, um, yeah, it was great to see even Seth Curry. He, he sort of started the game much better than, than even Steph did. And it was awesome just to see him up and running and shooting so well. They're clearly just such a talented family. And, um, when you consider everything his dad did in the league as well, it's, um, it's just a terrific. Um, Anyone terrific who says story. shooting isn't in the genes, Caddy, hasn't looked into the Curries ever. Um, absolutely not. So now they're, they're they're unbelievable, and yeah, it was, it was, I think um, at this stage, uh, I think Curry would have to be yeah in, in the top of those discussions in the MVP race for sure. Yeah, he certainly would be. He's been outstanding, and as you said, the Golden State Warriors surprising everybody with their start to the season. Moving on to your third thing, Caddy, that you are thankful for, and what have you gone with there? Well, I'm thankful for the team that's sitting just behind them in the West, and that's the Phoenix Suns, because, um, you know, I think there was probably some doubt or concern as to whether they were going to be able to re-up this year in terms of, you know, playing at a really high level on the back of last year and whether, you know, some people probably thought they were a little bit fortunate to, to get to the to the finals um, with a few things sort of, you know, going their way in a sense in the postseason, but no, they've really been able to come out and start the season just in incredible fashion, seventeen and three, on a sixteen game winning streak, which is just, you know, just incredible uh, when you when you think about a team um, being able to win that many games in a row. Uh, you know, it just doesn't happen too often, and when it does, you really got to sit up and take notice of it. And you know, all credit to this Phoenix team, who you know probably could have been forgiven for to sort of start the season a little bit slower and and work their way in, but they they've come out of the blocks and and certainly wanting to show everyone that they're a team to be reckoned with, not only in the West, but as a, as a legitimate title hope. And, um, and and the other part of this, I think, is, um, which I, I, I just think if you looked at it a year or two ago, you, there's no way you could have even been uttering these words. But I think the fact that they've sort of built this team the right way, and, and which, is, again, is crazy to think because they've missed on so many draft picks over, over the journey over the last 10 years when they've been picking generally pretty high in the lottery. But it does just go to show if you can just get one or two of those picks right and then sort of add around the fringes with free agency and, and, and bring in, try and then entice a star level player, which they've been able to do with um, clearly Chris Paul coming into the team. Um, yeah, they've been able to finally build build a team the right way. And, you know, you, you go back, it was 2015 draft where pick 13 was Devin Booker. Then you've got the 2018 draft where they were able to, to take uh, DeAndre Ayton uh, pick one and then they... They did draft Zaire Smith, who they then traded straight away to, to Philly for, for, for Bridges. So they, they what a huge paid. move that was, wasn't it? And, yeah. and considering I, Bridges was that Bridges's mum, I think worked for the 76ers. So you know that's come back to bite them in the bum, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean that was a huge miss from on Philly's part, and, and a big win for Phoenix. But to get Aiton and Bridges in the same draft, um, then already having Booker just starting to develop his, and then being able to clearly add Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. In the you know basically via trade or free agency was has really built this team out. But then you look at the ones they've missed on as well. They, they Dragon Bender a pick four in 2016. Alex Len was a pick five in 2013. So there's been a, a Josh Jackson a pick four in 2017. So there's three top 
five picks that have just blown up in their face, yet they've been able to still, you know, look back and 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 I think this is the whole theory that um, Philadelphia had all those years ago around getting so many bites of the cherry that finally that you, you're going to at least land hopefully a star, maybe two stars that you can then um, do it around. You just need as many bites of the cherry as you can possibly get. And Phoenix were able to to land a couple of good ones, Booker eight and then Bridges, and then as, as we know, um, bringing in Chris Paul via that trade, and it was a, a pretty clever trade for them in the end. I mean, they all they gave up was Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre. Uh, the 2022 first round pick, which is this uh, this year's first round pick, which is going to be a really late 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 pick, clearly. Um, so they're able to you know bring him in and and not give up too much in in the meantime. Obviously, you know having to wear his what was a really big salary at the time, and um, but they've clearly <laughs> haven't shied away from paying him again. So um, they've they've built this team out the the right way, I think, in the end, and and clearly started the season in scintillating fashion, and and would be one of the obviously one of the teams to be talking about as a legitimate finals team again. Oh, they certainly are. And you mentioned that the, the draft picks they've missed on. And let's not forget Jalen Smith two years ago when they put, took him at pick 10, I think it was. Yeah. And they still had Tyrese Halliburton on the board. So he, he certainly would have – Smith isn't even getting a game, like even getting minutes. You know, they've, they've brought in JaVal McGee to play that backup role because they obviously don't have the faith, the faith in Jalen Smith as yet to to stand up and, and at least play a backup role. And McGee's actually been very, very good for them. But, you know, it, it's amazing, isn't it? They actually got off to a bit of a slow start. They lost three of their first four games and they haven't – they haven't lost since then. And, and can you pick, Caddy, the last team to beat the Phoenix Suns? Have a guess. Oh, was it um, last team to beat them? Uh, OKC? Sacramento Kings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Luke Walton could have gone to him and said, what are you talking about? I was, I'm the last coach to beat the Phoenix Suns. So just incredible that they haven't lost a game since since losing uh, to the Sacramento Kings. So Devin Booker's just really come on sort of the last week or two. He had a little bit of a slow start to the season, but he's just been on fire, especially the last three games. He dropped 30 today against against the Brooklyn Nets. He had 32 against New York and 35 the previous game against Cleveland. So that that backcourt of, of Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker are just absolutely clicking now. They had a bit of a sort of a feeling out period early last year, understandably so, bringing in a guy like Chris Paul who likes to dictate uh, dictate you know, the pace of play and, and hold the ball a lot. And I think Booker and Paul took a little bit of time to sort of get used to each other, but they're certainly firing on all cylinders now. And I think the most impressive thing about both of those two is just their ability to hit that mid-range shot. And, and that's generally the shot that the teams tried to force you to take late in games. They take away, obviously, the layups and the dunks, and they take away the three-point shot and the corner threes, and they force you to, to, to beat them off the dribble and hit the mid-range shot just because not a, not a lot of players are comfortable taking that shot. But, you know, Chris Paul's been a killer from the mid-range right throughout his career, and Devin Booker certainly going down that path at the moment too. So, yeah, just an incredible run at the moment uh, by Phoenix. We, we, we were looking ahead at, the, at, their, at their schedule, and we saw the, this Brooklyn game coming up, and we were hoping they were going to be able to get through Cleveland and New York uh, to see if they could uh, keep that streak alive against Brooklyn. And, and to be able to do that is just fantastic. So who knows how much longer that streak can go for, but yeah, just a fantastic start to the season uh, for the Phoenix Suns. Moving on now, Caddy, to the third thing that I'm thankful for, and it's and it's Cole Kuzma. And and not just because he's averaging a, a career-best 9.2 rebounds in a in, for a Washington team that's certainly surprising everybody, but just for his fashion choices, Caddy. I don't know if you saw what... Uh, 
Kyle Kuzma ran with during during the week, but he came out what with this this oversized jumper or whatever you want to call it with sleeves that basically went down to his knees. So I don't know in what world anybody could think it's pra- practical to wear a garment caddy that you couldn't even get your hands out of. If he had to open the door to to get inside the locker room, he wouldn't have been able to do that. So I'm assuming that he wore that for 10 seconds as he walked down basically that the red carpet um, and opened the door, but just absolutely ridiculous. You know, fashion's become such a huge thing in the NBA. We've seen, you know, Russell Westbrook uh, wear some crazy things throughout the years, and, and I remember Serge Barker wearing a scarf that basically was dragging along the ground uh, on his way to one game. But Kyle Kuzma is taking it to another level, and and to have the the gallstones caddy to to roll with a with a garment that doesn't even have allow you to do anything was just next level. Did you see that caddy, and what did you think of what he was rolling with? Oh, I did, and I, I did uh, watch him walk into the arena on that pati- uh, particular day that you're talking with the pink long sleeve, uh, whatever you want to call it, cardigan. Um, and he did have to open the door himself, and he, he basically effectively had to roll up the, the extended sleeve just to get his hand <laughs> so he could open the door. It was, yeah, quite ridiculous. But um, he, he's got he's got some history in this department, Cole Kuzma. Um, there's no doubt about that, and um, he, he he's certainly. Uh, values his fashion choices, I think, and um, I think he was quoted once saying, "Life's all about effectively art and being able to um, express yourself." And the first impression in life is always what you wear. So, um, yeah, there's Dad a Kardashian, there. didn't he at one stage, Kuzma? Uh, I dare say so. I think he would have been in that mix for sure. But you know, it, the thankful thing for him and this year is he has been able to back up some of some of that stuff with some with some pretty good play to start the year in Washington and and the trade. Getting out of LA seems to have uh, seems to have positively affected him. I think. No, it certainly has, and yeah, and, and they've certainly been one of the surprise stories of the year so far. That another nice win today, um, and and uh, we saw Bradley Beal get going as well. Who had had a quiet start to the season, so yeah, well done to the Washington Wizards on their start to the season, and well done to Cole Kuzma on his fashion choices because it's certainly <laughs> uh, keeping everybody entertained, Caddy. Uh, we'll move on now to the last thing that you're thankful for in the NBA, and what is that, Caddy? Well, it's probably a, a bit of a, an early thankfulness, but I, I'm, from what I've read, it seems like Jar Morant has um, escaped serious injury from what looked like a pretty nasty fall the other day. So I'm thankful for the, the injury gods to hopefully have cleared um, Jar Morant from any serious knee injury because it looked, looked pretty gruesome when he went down and then even with his tweet after the game saying it was all in God's hands now and all we can do is pray. Didn't fill me with a... Yeah, a never a good sign. Confidence. But um, no, the, the team's coming out now saying it's a left knee sprain. So I don't really know what that means, but it's certainly better than hearing that it's a torn ACL or a, you know, a meniscus or a medial or anything like that. So Because it, it, it didn't look great when he went down and, and he couldn't put any weight on it. Um, and obviously going through something quite similar myself in the last few months. So I thought even if it was Similar athleticism between you and Jar too, Caddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah diff- definitely similar body types between the two of us. But um, no, look, that would have sent shockwaves, I'm sure, through Memphis and all their fans and even teammates because um, without him, they're clearly nowhere near the team that they are with him. And uh, it'd be a shame for a, a guy that's having such a great season to to miss an extended period of time. And that, that still probably remains to be seen. I've probably gone a little bit early on, on being thankful to the injury gods, but hopefully, um, yeah, he can get over this and, and be back out on the court as soon as possible. Yeah, let, let's keep our fingers crossed. And it's, it's, it's as if we almost mozzed him, didn't we? I think it was last week we spoke about who would you rather have for their career, Ja Morant 
or Zion Williamson, and, and you compared him to the fact that he's, he's very reminiscent of a young Derrick Rose, and we spoke about, geez, we hope he doesn't, you know, these injuries don't befall him the way they did with Derrick Rose, and a week later we're seeing him going down with, a with yeah, as you said, hopefully not a serious injury, and, and that was the reason we both sided with Ja Morant because we felt his ability to stay on the court was more more so there than it was for, for Zion. So we got the positive news during the week that, that Zion uh, is now in full contact, I think. So hopefully he's not too far away from taking the floor uh, for the Pelicans and it would be a, be a, a shame if, if Ja Morant went out, went out with a serious injury for an extended period. So, yeah, we're thankful. We both are, Caddy, that uh, it sounds like he's certainly avoided uh, the dreaded ACL and he's going to miss a year of basketball and hopefully he's back back out on the floor in the not-too-distant future for the Memphis Grizzlies, just uh, entertaining us all with his high-flying acrobats around the rim. Uh, we'll move on now, Caddy, to the last thing that I'm thankful for, and and you you had one of your Chicago uh, things with Ali Caruso, and, and I'm thankful, Caddy, as a Miami Heat supporter for Pat Riley. So Riley joined the, the, Miami, Heat, uh, the Miami Heat in 1995 as a – as a head coach from the New York Knicks, and he had his first iteration, I suppose, was with the the Tim Hardaway Alonzo Mourning uh, crew. He rolled with there, and he was a coach for eight successful seasons. They were always one of the teams to beat uh, in the Eastern Conference back then, and, th- and that's the reason I am a Miami Heat fan, Caddy, because I was a huge Timmy Hardaway fan back in the day, so I crossed over to the Heat when he joined the, the Miami Heat from the Golden State Warriors. So he had the eight successful seasons as a coach, uh, quit as the coach, and, and got on to the – to, to the GM role, was heavily involved uh, in selecting Dwayne Wade with the fifth pick in the 2003 draft that at the time wasn't seen as, as a definite home run. So he sort of went, went out on a limb a little bit to take Wade with the fifth pick. Uh, in 2004, traded for Shaquille O'Neal for, from the Los Angeles Lakers to pair with Dwayne Wade. Uh, in the 2005-06 season, 21 games into the season, came down from the front office uh, and gave Stan Van Gander the arse and took over as the coach and led Miami to their first title. So he he brought together, he, he drafted Wade, got Shaq in uh, as a free a trader for Shaq and then decided he had to come down and coach and do that and led him to that first title. Uh, then went back to the front office after a couple more years of coaching. Signed LeBron, uh, LeBron and Chris Bosh, of course, in, in 2010, which led to a further two titles. Also adding Ray Allen in 2012 uh, was a really key role. And, and let's not forget how important he was in that second title, hitting that huge shot against the San Antonio Spurs in Game 6 to send it into overtime. 2015, an underrated uh, trade that he made when he when he traded for Goran Dragic, gave up a couple of first round picks, but Dragic had a had a very long career and, and a very good career with the Miami Heat. Uh, Twenty seventeen, Caddy drafted Bam Adebayo with the fourteenth pick. With that's you know that's a that's a huge draft pick there. He signed a max contract in the off season and was an all star. I think last season was the first time he was an all star, and you'd probably expect he's going to be around the mark again this year. Twenty nineteen, traded for Jimmy Butler. Which was the catalyst for for getting them to the to the finals uh, during the bubble. Also picked up Tyler Hero in that draft with the thirteenth pick, and then this year in the off season uh, signed signed and traded for Kyle Lowry and signed PJ Tucker. And we've seen how good the Miami Heat have been this year. Certainly uh, exceeded the expectations that I had for them. I thought they were going to be more a, a playoff team, more so than a than a regular season team. But they they've been outstanding, and 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 I think I think they're second in the East at the moment. And and for me, from what I've seen uh, from them so far this year, I, I think that they're they're right there. Probably a, a little bit of a a rung below, say Milwaukee and Brooklyn. But I'd have them sort of third in the pecking order 
at the moment, and, and who knows what can happen come playoff time. But for me, Pat Riley has just been unbelievable for Miami. You know, you compare that to we spoke about the Sacramento Kings, the, the hardship they've had throughout the years, but pretty much in the same time that Pat Riley's been at Miami, he's been able to transform them, whether it be as a coach or a GM. And for that, Caddy, I'm very thankful as a Miami Heat fan that Pat Riley is there. Yeah, so you should be. He's um, done a brilliant job over many years, and yeah, he's, he's had a quite a storied um, history in the league, all the way back to, to the LA Lakers days when he was coaching them, and um, the Showtime Lakers, and you know everywhere he's gone, success has followed. He didn't quite able to get over the hump in New York, um, coaching you know really strong teams there, but just kept coming up against effectively Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls, and just couldn't quite get them past there and yeah ever since he's been in Miami that culture that they they talk about so often and it clearly comes from the top and I always love the stories hearing um when Pat Riley's talking to a a would-be free agent or someone they're trying to entice entice the franchise and he just wheels out the 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 championship rings on the fingers drops the rings on LeBron puts them on the table and, and says you know this is what it's all about so yeah when he's he's got the the record to back it up and and um yeah I just like that you just know with a franchise like Miami, they're going to have their ups and downs, but they're going to continue to try and be a great team. They're not going to just hunt for the bottom and look to stay there year after year. They're always looking at ways to improve. And, you know, they, they'll probably, I think it was the 2016 offseason where they probably missed on a few of those signings, like most teams did that yeah. summer. But that they, was his, you know, Yeah, that's his biggest misstep, no doubt. Yeah, I think it was what, like Kelly and the Linux contract, and there was the Hassan Whiteside, and there was a few others. Dion Waiters, yeah. James Johnson, yeah. Josh McRoberts, and that sort of had the really could have really hurt them for a number of years. But but he was like, pretty quick to obviously identify the errors and was able to you know within a year or two sort of get out of those with some again shrewd drafting and shrewd signings and trading and and been able to get them back to to now where I think yeah, as you mentioned a, a legitimate um, threat in the East and. And who knows how far they can potentially go this year. I think they've got a really well-balanced and deep roster and, and they'll give themselves every chance. And Pat Riley, again, the, the architect behind the, behind most of it. He certainly is. And you brought up his missteps there. It was a 2017 off-season, Caddy, that, that he made those those choices there. But as you said, recovered very well. And But the biggest thing for me was I, I didn't like the way the Dwayne Wade situation was handled. Wade's, Wade's my... Uh, my hero or my idol, I suppose. He's my biggest sporting idol. So I didn't like the way he had to leave for Chicago. Uh, he felt he was being lowballed uh, by Riley and he had that year and a half in, well, two seasons it might have been in Chicago and, and a half a season in Cleveland. So that was disappointing, but it was certainly very good to see Wade come back to Miami and, and end his career there. So we'll call it there, Caddy. Uh, as I say, every week, thank you to everybody who continues to download the podcast. If you haven't as yet, jump on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. Also, jump on Facebook and like the page as we post all the episodes there. Until next week, we'll talk to you then. 